Welcome back, folks. Boy, do we have a loaded show today for you guys. Here at Culture Wars. And we'll get right into it. In one second. With your... Your host here. Drew. Whether it's academia, the entertainment industry... The lamestream media, religion, or politics, we will confront the secular left in all its forms here at Culture Wars. Coming up on episode 2 of Culture Wars, I have titled this episode Republican Despair. Has our side just completely given up? Are they just completely laying down and waving the white flag already well we sure ain't here at culture wars we'll get into all that and more next okay so today i figure we're just going to jump right into the meat of things. See, this article it, that I'm going to read, and I think I'm going to read most of it, is, I understand it's old, and you've probably heard about it, but the thing is, I want to read this because I think it's very um, uh, instructive about where we are right now so hang on a second i'll start reading that okay so you've probably like i said you've probably heard about this article it's from the new york times it's tom cotton send in the troops the nation must restore order the military stands ready this is that article that caused so much ooh-ha-ha. So I just want to I just want to read this so we can see what all of that was about, you know. So it starts off This week rioters have plunged many American cities into anarchy, recalling the widespread violence of the 1960s. New York City suffered the worst of the riots Monday night as Mayor Bill de Blasio stood by while Midtown Manhattan descended into lawlessness. Bands of looters roved the streets smashing and emptying hundreds of businesses. Some even drove exotic cars. The riots were carnivals for the thrill-seeking rich as well as other criminal elements. Outnumbered police officers encumbered by feckless politicians bore the brunt of the violence. In New York State, rioters ran over officers with cars on at least three occasions. In Las Vegas, an officer is in grave condition after being shot in the head by a rioter. In St. Louis, four police officers were shot as they attempted to disperse a mob, throwing bricks and dumping gasoline into a 
In a separate incident, a 77-year-old retired police captain was shot to death as he tried to stop looters from ransacking a pawn shop. This is somebody's granddaddy, a bystander screamed at the scene. Some elites have excused this orgy of violence, calling it an understandable response to the wrongful death of George Floyd. That, this is not an understandable response. Those excuses are built on a revolting moral equivalence. Sorry, that was my little burst of outrage there. Um, of rioters and looters to peaceful law-abiding protesters. A majority who seek to protest peacefully shouldn't be confused with bands of miscreants. But the rioting has nothing to do with George Floyd. Those whose bereaved relatives have condemned violence. On the contrary, the nihilist criminals are simply out for loot and the thrill of destruction with cadres of left-wing radicals like Antifa infiltrating protest marches to exploit Floyd's death for their own anarchic purposes. These rioters, if not subdued, will not only destroy the livelihoods of law-abiding citizens, but will also take more innocent lives. Many poor communities still bear scars from past upheavals will be set back still further. One thing above all else will restore art to our streets, an overwhelming show of force to disperse, detain, and ultimately deter lawbreakers. But local law enforcement in some cities desperately needs backup, while delusional politicians in other cities refuse to do what's necessary to uphold the rule of law. The pace of looting and disorder may fluctuate from night to night, but it's past time to support local law enforcement with federal authority. Some governors have mobilized the National Guard, yet others refuse, and in some cases, the rioters still outnumber the police and guard combined. In these circumstances, the Insurrection Act authorizes the president to employ the military or any other means in cases of insurrection or obstruction to the laws. This venerable law, nearly as old as our republic itself, doesn't amount to martial law or the end of the democracy as some excitable critics, ignorant of both law and history, have comically suggested. I, I'm sorry, I have to stop. This, this is just disgusting to me. We've been given martial law for months on end now with the coronavirus <sighs> lockdowns and now all of a sudden if we call in the National Guard to stop an insurrection this is gonna amount to martial law or end the democracy this <sighs> let me tell you something What's going to end our democracy is if we don't. Anyways, getting back to the article. Um, easier said than done. Let me find my place. Uh, in fact, the federal government has a constitutional duty 
to the states to protect each of them from domestic violence. Throughout our history, presidents have exercised this authority on dozens of occasions to protect law-abiding citizens from disorder, nor does it violate the Posse Comitatus Act, which constrains the military's role in law enforcement, but expressly accepts statutes such as the Insurrection Act. For instance, during the 1950s and 60s, Presidents Dwight Eisenhower, John Kennedy, and Lyndon Johnson called down out the military to disperse mobs that prevent school desegregation or threatened innocent lives and property. This happened in my own state. Um, uh, let's see. A racist Democrat governor, Orville, F I don't know how to pronounce his name, mobilized our National Guard in 1957 to obstruct desegregation at Little Rock Central High School. President Eisenhower federalized the, federalized the guard and called in the 101st Airborne in response. The failure to do so, he said, would be tantamount to acquiescence in anarchy. More recently, George H.W. Bush ordered the Army's 7th Infantry and 1,500 Marines to protect Los Angeles during race riots in 1992. He acknowledged his disgust at Rodney King's treatment, what I saw made me sick, but he knew deadly rioting would only multiply the victims of all races and from all walks of life. See, we don't understand things like this nowadays. Okay, anyways, getting back to the article, I'm almost done here. Not surprisingly, public opinion is on the side of law enforcement and law and order, not insurrectionists. According to a recent poll, 58% of voters, including nearly half of Democrats and 30% of 7% of African Americans, would support cities calling in the military to address protests and demonstrations that are in response to the death of George Floyd. That opinion may not appear often in chic uh, salons, but widespread support for it is fact nonetheless. The American people aren't blind to injustices in our society, but they know that the most basic responsibility of government is to maintain public order and safety. In normal times, local law enforcement can uphold public order, but in rare moments like ours today, more is needed, even if many politicians prefer to wring their hands while the country burns. Wow. Wow. That was the article that was so radical. So radical. <sighs> Did you guys hear anything so radical about that article? Because I didn't. I, f I have not read that article all the way through yet. Because I wanted to react to it. In, in real time. And... I honestly don't know what was so radical about that. Anyways, we'll have more in a second. Okay, that music means we're back. So, I want to pull up another article on... Well, it has to do with the article that I just read from Tom Cotton.
Um, it's from the American Thinker, and the title is Thought Crimes Now Prosecuted in the Land of the Free. Now, I'm just going to read uh, one paragraph of this, or two, just to make the point, because they have a, they talk about the, the, uh, basically tantrum that happened over the writing of this article, the New York Times says, we're seeing leftist journalists who managed to preserve the most valuable professional skill, critical thinking, becoming victims of this insanity too. When groups of fellow staffers demand the firing of or reprimand of colleagues who made politically problematic editorial or social media decisions, the New York Times Intercept Vox Philadelphia Inquirer, Variety, and others saw racially-based challenges to management, which was brilliantly depicted by Matt Taibbi in his refreshing piece, The American Press is Destroying Itself. In the most disgust and infamous case of Senator Tom Cotton, who wrote the op-ed Send in the Troops that we just read, the New York Times editorial page editor, James Bennett, who allowed for its publication, was ousted out of his position, even though Senator did not call for military force against protesters in American cities, but spoke of how a show of force needed, in his opinion, to manage a situation which a considerable part of the country saw as spiraling out of control. Some of the Times staffers, and this is the key here, felt threatened. Running this puts black New York Times staff in danger, tweeted many of them. This is so much BS. So say that us white people are fragile now? No, it's you crybaby millennial journalists that are fragile. is I'm going to read another, uh, another article from the Federalist because it's an example of a concept I kind of wanted I want to uh, explain to you guys so the article, like I said, it's from the Federalist and it's called Lee Edwards on how today's far left is radically different from the 60s. And it explains that Lee Edwards is uh, distinguished fellow in conservative thought at the Heritage Foundation. So, anyways, says, Edward said the behavioral differences 
are that far-left protesters in the late 1960s aimed to work within the constitutional order. Their legal goals were achieved through debate and discussion, rather than an uncompromising, unproductive destruction of the founding principles and physical representations of those principles. Whereas people, as I say, worked within a sort of institutional order in the 1960s, today we're trying to tear it down, Edward said. They're trying to blow it up, they're trying to topple it, literally, with their defacing, to my mind, the horrible, terrible irony of defacing the Lincoln Memorial. How can someone who says Black Lives Matter do that? Well, okay. So the concept I want to explain is called the Overton Window. Okay, so the Overton Window. This concept, basically, imagine a political spectrum, like a line. On the one side, you have the left. On the other side, you have the right. And then you have the middle, you know. And... Basically, this line represents all political thought or ideas um, that you could have. And the idea of the Overton window says that there's a window like just like a window frames like it has a frame like um the frame basically limits what you can you can only see what's within that frame and the overton window works kind of this way basically this window is some this window basically represents all the political thought within a certain um, uh, society within a period of time that is considered, I guess, the norm, mainstream, not radical. So, like, basically, anything beyond the frame of this window, like, any political thoughts or ideas beyond it, are going to be considered radical. In other words, it frames what is considered the norm. So, the problem with this is is that the window moves on the spectrum just because, you know, within a society, um, uh, the body politic or public sentiments on what is considered reasonable political thoughts or ideas changes over periods of time because of you know there's all kinds of 
um, different influences. But the problem in our country is that the window keeps moving further and further to the left. Meaning that now to have any kind of conservative or even just free thinking opinion on anything just seems outrageous. This is why you have Democrats promoting Marxism and the overthrow of capitalism. But the problem with it is that it moves the whole discourse of the of the nation in that direction not just their side our side too that's why now the republican party is just like uh marxism light party see it's like it this is why now Every single political idea is framed, the discourse is framed with the left's language and they frame the, and they also frame the whole argument. I'm now going to give you some examples of this, some more concrete examples. Okay. I want to read to you some quotes from this article in The Federalist. It's titled, Fox News contributor Jessica Tarlov, who is a Democratic strategist, says Black Lives Matter's Marxist roots doesn't concern me. So she was having a conversation with a discourse with um, Lisa Booth, who's a Republican strategist, and um, Booth said, but do the Marxist tactics not concern you? To which Jessica said, no, it doesn't concern me that there are roots in Marxism. Let me explain. This is because Jessica Tarlov, the Democrat strategist, understands that the Democrat Party, this is who they are now. They're, the Democrat Party is an institution has largely become conquered by Marxists. This is the future of the Democrat Party. Okay, let's move on to a segment of the show that I like to call Offense. Examining our offensive uh, tactics. So, I'm gonna read some this article from the Daily Wire. Now, this article, uh, the title of it is Michael Moore warns no 
the I'm gonna read this article maybe the title of another one and it will give me a jumping off point for our topic. So anyways, I should preface this by saying and this may um uh this may shock you but I actually have some uh odd respect for Michael Moore because obviously I find his uh political ideology to be um atrocious but I respect him because I think he's genuine I think he genuinely believes his ideology unlike some and now I should also frame this by saying that during the last election cycle he was actually one of the few on the left that predicted Trump would win so anyways let me read these quotes from him these he posted on uh, Instagram so says referring to um, Trump's rally in Tulsa Oklahoma says they started lining up on Tuesday in Tulsa for Trump's rally today a hundred thousand are expected Trump has lost none of his base and they are more rabid than ever sleeping on the sidewalk for five nights just to get in to see Trump that is commitment do not take Trump for granted don't think he can't win don't get all cocky telling everyone there's no way he's winning the White House because frankly you sound a lot like yourself four years ago when you told everyone there's no way this country is going to put a clown in the Oval Office um, then he continues if you are once again not taking my warning seriously then I have a question I want you to answer and I ask you to answer me honestly how many people would line up for five days just to hear Joe Biden talk 12 5 none the candidate who inspires the most people in the swing states to excitedly get to the polls and ensure that each of them bring 10 to 20 of their friends and family with them on election day all of them highly motivated fired up and on a mission from God that's who wins the White House so I I believe he's right but only he's right if it weren't for a couple of other influences so let me explain that see he's winning his side I want to warn our side now see first first let me explain this here's another article 
from the Federalist, and the title of it says it all. Biden campaign asks Facebook to censor President Trump's posts. See, the Democrat Party understands what Michael Moore is saying. They understand that Biden can't Biden cannot um he he just can't be victorious over Trump unless they play dirty but that that's right but there's something else that I I believe they understand and that is that first the Democrat party has a lot of moment, has a lot of fuel right now they're being fueled by a rabid mob and um also, Democrats aren't voting for Biden. They're voting for what Biden represents to them. And what he represents is... He represents their vision that they've cast for the future of this country of this nation but there's a second condition under which a lesser force in warfare could could um conquer a greater force and that is if the greater force just waves the white flag and surrenders. So my question that I want to pose for this segment is, has our side just surrendered? For one reason or another, have they surrendered? Now look, it would almost be understandable if our side, if we just wanted to surrender. I mean, we have just been beat down with wave after wave, coronavirus, um, Marxist, in, Marxist insurrection riots, and then the onslaught of liberal liberal arguments just dripping with character assassination and not just us but Trump I mean have you have you seen 
photos of Trump lately, he just looks beat down. He just looks beat. Now, you know, uh, a force can stand even with low morale. But if if a force's leaders do not want to fight, then it is it is then morale goes way down. Like here's an article from the Hill. The title is McConnell. Senate confirms Trump's 200th judicial nominee. Um, says, Senate on Wednesday confirmed President Trump's 200th judicial nominee. The milestone marks the latest victory for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who views the federal judiciary as a top priority. The Senate voted 52 to 48 on Corey Wilson's nomination to the Fifth Circuit judge. Like many of Trump's appeals court judges, Wilson was confirmed largely along party lines with Senator Susan Collins, the only Republican senator to vote against. Republicans took a victory lap ahead of the vote. McConnell, speaking from the Senate floor, noted that in addition to being Trump's 200th judicial nominee, Wilson's confirmation means there will be no vacancies on the country's influential appeals court. Um, let's see. So... You know, it's nice to know Mitch McConnell has his priorities straight. You know, Mitch McConnell, two-faced twit. It's like, I'm telling you, it's like our, we're in the middle of a freaking onslaught. Our livelihoods are being devoured and plundered and our history is being shredded. But you know, it's nice to know that Mitch McConnell has his priorities straight, buddy. You know, he's got them, them justices nominated, alright? The same justices that keep stabbing us in the back at every single turn here's another article from the American thinker title Republicans must understand we are at war and I may get into this um, in more detail in a later show but it says in the past, institutions such as the military, mainstream media, churches, big business, and professional sports may have leaned toward the Republican side. These, however, 
have been outright neutralized or are in the process of being assimilated into the opposing side. Here's another article title. The queer movement wants to convert Christians, not coexist. The dream for compromise between those demanding absolute affirmation for ever-evolving gender and sexual convictions and others of strong religious faith is unrealistic and not because of religious folks. Here's another article for you from The Federalist. Again, where are conservative leaders in this moment? We need leaders who are willing and ready to link arms with these cops and physically take, a, take part in cleaning up this mess and defying the mob. And it says that the Republican Party basically has talked a good game, but in practice they have spent more time advocating for lower taxes, feel-good donor interests, and pro-business regulatory reforms than the cultural defense they use, they use to make the money roll in. The article goes on, talking about the left. Now, they intend to subjugate the nation's children to a woke ahistorical conspiracy about our founding fathers and inculcate them with the idea they are permanently stained by irredeemable acts of racism that happened long before they were born and for which they are not guilty. Okay, so... I... I think the Republicans honestly don't believe in the fight for the trajectory of the institutions of this nation is a fight worth having. And I can go into and explain the reasons for that more in another show. We'll be back in a minute. Okay, next I want to give you Republicans some examples of leadership and what not to do and what to do. And we'll start with what not to do. Okay, I'm about to play a clip from Tucker Carlson's show. And by the way, Tucker Carlson has been doing a bang-up job lately. And this is a discussion that he had with a senator, Mike Braun, a Republican senator from Indiana. And anybody who is listening to this in Indiana, this Mike Braun, he's a traitor. You need to vote him out of office the next opportunity you get. You're judging it. Uh, Tucker, that'll all come out in the court process. And all I'm saying, let me finish this. If we don't get better at it, for all of us on Main Street, Democrats are going to spin it. Uh, Chuck Schumer's already decided he can make hay of this in the election. And we'll end up on the short side of it again. If you're wanting to say absolutely. Who controls absolutely, the Senate? Does Chuck Schumer if, control it? I thought Republicans controlled the Senate. And you so you're taking six, your cues you, from Chuck Schumer? You you're have saying 60, Chuck Schumer might criticize me, therefore I have to pass a law that makes it easier to sue police? Tucker, okay. you know you have to have 60 votes in the Senate to get anything done. 
You can check my record. Yeah, they're about to change that when it. they take over. And even law okay. enforcement in Indiana thinks that in some of these cases, it's giving them a bad name and bad apples. Ought to be, uh, there ought to be due process there for the victim. So what law and enforcement groups are endorsing your bill? They're not endorsing it, but they said it was a good oh. template to work from. But why so. aren't they endorsing it then? You've cited them twice as supporters of this idea, but they're not endorsing your bill, so they don't actually support it. So why are you bringing them up as they evidence it's that a, it's a good idea? They think it's a better idea to be in the discussion than be outside of it. But if you care what they think, why don't you write something they'll endorse? And that doesn't necessarily mean we won't get there. That's not going to be done today. The Democrats now think they can win with it in the election, and that's why we needed to be engaged now in a way that would have kept it on so the table. So you need to write a bill that law enforcement won't endorse. The country's burning, not because cops are burning it down, but because the mob is. But you think the morally culpable party is the police, so you're making it easier for left-wing groups to sue them. Am I missing something? You are missing it, but you're trying to put words in my mouth. I don't think no, you not. can justify any of the looting, any of the rioting, and if you don't address the underlying issue, do you think it's going to fix itself on its own? Do you think it's going to get better? Do you think the underlying Probably issue not. is Rayshard Brooks being shot? Is it, so you're telling me that what's happening now is the result of police behavior. It's the police. It's the fault of the police. That's what you're saying. Because you no, call it the underlying I'm saying issue. What they're getting by with on the other side is trying to generalize on the specific, and they'll get away with it if we decide to do nothing. That's just a general disagreement and approach. What about, believe, are you making it easier for business owners to sue the mob for burning their businesses down? I haven't noticed that bill coming out of the Senate. <laughs> hey, if we're not in the discussion, Tucker, we're going to be on the sidelines like we are on so many issues as conservatives because we fail to engage and they run circles around okay. us in the end run. You think you're going to keep the Senate in the fall on this platform? I think we're going to keep the Senate if we uh, at least are willing to engage in issues that are important to the American public and that we don't always stand on the sidelines until it's too late. It's more about yeah, when I, I you get involved in the issue. issue. I don't think the public supports you at all on this. I'm, I'm, with I respect, think, I just don't. I, don't I think, think law enforcement. Right I think law enforcement knows they need to have a better system than what they got now because it's stigmatizing right. them unduly. Okay, Senator Brown, thanks for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. You bet. You hear that, folks? So, let me explain this. How, let me ask you a question first. How nearsighted can these Republicans be? It's like all they can think about is the next election cycle, the next election cycle, the next election cycle. Meanwhile, we're, what little bit of civilized society that we have left is hanging by th threads and Mike Braun of Indiana wants to get into the weeds in a debate about police reform? Give me a break. Okay, so this next example. I have an article from the Daily Wire. And so... Um... Let's see. So, this happened on Twitter originally. 
um, Ben Shapiro tweeted, So when is our woke historical revisionist priesthood going to insist on blowing up Mount Rushmore? Which is in South Dakota, I might add. And the governor of South Dakota, she responded, Not on my watch. That is just... I love that response. Not on my watch. And let me tell you something, too. That little woman governor of South Dakota has more balls than the entire Republican Party combined filled with all you men. You all need to go sit in sackcloth and ashes. Shame be upon you. Shame. To sum up, if we don't start saying like Reagan did in his speech, A Time for Choosing, you and I must have the courage to say to our enemies, there's a price we will not pay, there's a point beyond which they must not advance. If we don't make here and now that point, we are going to lose everything. Oh, you want me to reinforce my point? Okay, here's an article from the Daily Wire. Representative of Iran's Supreme Leader delightedly preaches death to Am that death to America is being heard from the mouths of Americans themselves. On June 19th, an Ayatollah who represents Iran's Supreme Leader Ali, Ali Khamenei noting the rioting in American cities and the concurrent leftist attacks on American history, delightedly delivered a sermon in which he chortled that now Americans themselves are saying death to America. The sound of America being shattered and of its collapse is being heard all over the world. The shout of the Iranian nation, which has been leading the fight against America for over 40 years, is being heard from mouths of Americans themselves. Death to America. The audience repeated, death to America, death to America, death to America, death to America. You know why? You want to know the reason for this? Because unlike our nearsighted Republicans in Congress, the Iranians see what, see this for what it is. I'll be back in a minute. Okay, on to a new point. What you're witnessing right now, my point is this, what you're witnessing right now is about control of Americans. It's about getting control of Americans. Okay, this next article is a lot to unload, and I'm not going to be able to unload all of it today. So I'm just going to give you a brief analysis. So this is from the Daily Wire. Says L'Oreal to remove words whitening, fair, and lightening from skin products. 
The largest cosmetics company in the world announced on Saturday that it will remove words like whitening, fair, and lightening on the packaging of its products. A number of cosmetics brands have recently been bashed for offering skin lightening products or identifying some as intended for fair skin. The L'Oreal Group has decided to remove the words white, whitening, fair, fairness, light, lightening from all its skin evening products, the French cosmetics giant said in a statement to the Associated Press. The French company made headlines this month when it wrote on Instagram that it stands in solidarity with the black community and injustice of any kind. L'Oreal's latest move came after social media posts by British model Monroe Bergdorf, who was the company's first transgender model before she was fired in 2017. The company had hired Bergdorf, who is black, as a consultant on their United Kingdom Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Board. Your existence, privilege, and success as a race is built on the backs blood and death of people of color. Your entire existence is drenched in racism, she wrote in 2017 in a message to white people. Racism isn't learned, it's inherited, and consciously or unconsciously passed down through privilege. Once white people begin to admit that their race is the most violent and oppressive force of nature on earth, then we can talk. Bergdorf's comments came before she was hired by L'Oreal. The company has since rehired Bergdorf and she will serve on the diversity board, CNN reported. L'Oreal's promise for change comes a day after consumer products leader Unilever announced they'd be changing the name of their fair and lovely cream that is popular in Asia for skin lightening, Fox News reported. Um, the product reportedly generated $500 million in revenue in India last year, according to Yahoo News, but the brand says they are working to acknowledge how their terminology and branding perpetuates racist stereotypes. L'Oreal's move comes as nationwide protests continue over the death of George Floyd, who died on Memorial Day, while in the custody of Minneapolis police. The protests have prompted companies to change their product names. So again, that's the end of the article that I'm going to read, but again, there's so much to unload there. To be honest, so much of their beliefs are based on false premises. It's just it's so hard to even untangle all of it. But know this. This has nothing to do with racism. Nothing. Um, what this has to do with is them wanting to assert their particular brand of totalitarianism on you. And 
Uh, to generalize it even more, it has to do with what all um, brands of totalitarianism have to do with, and that is power grab. It's a power grab. That's all this is, is a power grab. And, because, let me ask you this. What's the reason that they've had these, um, phrases on their, on their bottles for years? But, it, it wasn't, it wasn't even, uh, It's never been a some some great sin until right here and now. And yes, when we're in the middle of a uh election year like this. It's a power grab. It's that simple. It's nothing more than a power grab. And that this is who's grabbing power is the elitist mob and all their cohorts of bureaucrats that are at their command. We're going to move on now. But staying on the same subject of bureaucrats, I want to talk about one of the uh, chief bureaucrats in this in this country right now. The honorable Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. So, here's what I'm going to do. I want to read um, the majority of this next article from the Daily Wire. It says, eight times Dr. Fauci revised the coronavirus narrative. Because... I view this as reinforcing my earlier point that everything you're witnessing right now is about control of the American people. Okay. So, it says, number one, whether the coronavirus was a threat to the United States. Um... And it says that on February 17th, Dr. Fauci met with the USA Today editorial board and, and they published an article detailing the discussion. And it says, top disease official says, Risk of coronavirus in USA is minuscule. Skip mask and wash hands. 
so basically the point is that he was saying this was going to be a minor disease back in February. Then on March 12th, he told Congress that um, uh, um, America's coronavirus testing system was failing and we've got to act like there's going to be a big problem. So from February to March, that's one time he changed. Um, he changed his view on on this, and by the way, I don't think that this. I don't think coronavirus was ever a um I don't I don't view it as ever having been a uh major threat to this c country. So the second one is masks. Um, he says, let's see, uh, they asked Fauci about the usefulness of face coverings. If you, he says, if you look at the masks that you buy in the drugstore, the leakage around that doesn't really do much to protect you. People start saying, should I wear a mask? Now in the United States, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to wear a mask. So remember, he said this in February. At the end of March, he told CNN that um, the nation's top health officials were considering changing that. Something doesn't have to be 100% effective to be beneficial. He said he would lean toward the idea if we do not have the problem of taking away masks from the healthcare workers who need them. Um, he said, we were concerned the public health community and many people were saying this, were concerned that it was at a time when personal protective equipment, including the N95 masks and surgical masks, were in very short supply, he told the street earlier this month. We also know that simple cloth coverings that many people have can work as well as a mask in many cases, he continued. So even though there appears to be some contradiction of you were saying this then why are you saying this now? Actually, the circumstances have changed. That's the reason why. Oh, how sweet it is to be a bureaucrat. You know, it's like, you can just, you can just make crap up as you go and, you know, just make up explanations on the fly 
and retcon everything. Just so you know, my view on masks is that I have never believed that they worked. Because we're using them in ways that they were never intended to be used in. So, anyways, back to the article. Um, number three, travel restrictions. Uh, the New York Times reported Fauci, and I think this is January, had argued that such travel limits only delay the eventual spread of the virus. But then, later on, Fauci would go on to support the travel bans, and in the Washington Post, it reports that he argued that it was critical to close off any path the virus might take into the country. The policy saved lives, Fauci would later reportedly say. Are you... Are you starting to see a pattern here? Number four, social distancing. I... I hate this word, social distancing. I cannot even... I can't even express to you how much I hate this word. And it's like the liberals... It was one of their fad phrases there for a while. Um, so, Fauci appeared on ABC's Good Morning America on February 29th and told the audience, At this moment, there's no need to change what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Right now, the risk is still low. Um... He said it was still safe to go to the movies, shop at malls, and work out in gyms. Uh, but the outbreak would worsen. And then on March 16th, Fauci stood up with President Trump as he announced aggressive social distancing guidelines for stopping the spread of novel coronavirus. Those recommendations called on Americans to avoid gatherings of more than 10 people, avoid discretionary travel, work from home when possible, and to stay away from nursing homes and other long-term facilities. Um, number five, projected U.S. death toll. Dr. Fauci told CNN on March 29th that there could be 100,000 to 200 deaths related to the coronavirus in the United States. The estimate was repeated by several media outlets, some of which focused on Fauci's worst-case scenario without presenting the information in proper context. Um... Two days later, at a White House briefing, Fauci cited another model predicting up to 240,000 American deaths. Um, 
He said, as sobering a number as that is, we should be prepared for it. We have to brace ourselves in the next several days to a week or so. We are going to continue to see things go up. Then, within two weeks on April 9th, he revised those estimates during an appearance on NBC's Today Show. I believe we're going to see a downturn in that, and it looks more like the 60,000 than the 100 to 200,000 range, Fauci said. Uh, of course, crediting the widespread mitigation efforts. I think the American public have done a really terrific job just buckling down and doing those physical separations and adhering to those guidelines. Oh yeah, those guidelines. So, anyways, the U.S. coronavirus death... Uh, let's see, where was I? Um... So, he told the Washington Post recently, I am skeptical about models, even though they are helpful in some respects, because I've said often it's work, repeating, models are only as good as the assumptions that you put into the model, and the assumptions change based on real data. So basically, these models are bullcrap. Look, you want to know my... Genuine views on this whole um, coronavirus. I, my view is that there was some, some amount of unsureness at first with the data, but I think now. This is not really a novel virus anymore. I think the data is largely in, and I think now everything from the data down to the public policy that is surrounding this coronavirus, I think it's being, it's been hijacked and like everything else is just being used by the left I mean think about it this virus is like the Democrat Party's dream this it has given them Everything that they've been dreaming about for years. The fear for our security that has been the reason that majority of us have willingly given over our rights. Anyways, back to the article. Six, a second wave. Um, let's see. Okay, let me pause here. Let me explain to you the very little bit of science that I understand on this. Is that... that 
Fauci saying that it wasn't inevitable that we would get a second wave is just, it's bullcrap. The thing is, as long as we handled, as long as we put the public policies in place that we did, we were always going to get a second wave of this virus because when you lock people up in their homes while a virus is going around, what happens? People aren't out. Um, they aren't making contact and they aren't they aren't getting infected with the virus which means that you have a bunch of people cooped up in their homes for months on end that have never actually contracted the virus which means that if you then in a few months suddenly let all these people out or at least Okay, the, in that type of uh, uh, situation, the majority of people haven't contracted the virus. So when you suddenly open up and let all these people out, what's going to happen is that these people that have never contracted the virus are going to get it. The ones that, the, the few that got it before, that contracted it before won't, but the ones that have been cooped up, the majority that have been cooped up in their homes all this time are going to now contract it, which means you get a second wave, which means that this policy was dumb. It was always going to cause a second wave. Number seven, moving the goalposts to reopen. Um, in early March, Dr. Fauci emphasized that Americans needed to take extreme measures to reduce the rate of coronavirus infections and to avoid overwhelming the hospitals. What we need to do is flatten that down, he said. You do that with trying to interfere with the natural flow of outbreak. You remember all this crap, you guys? We got... <sighs> You remember all this about flattening the curve? Oh, we gotta flatten the curve. There is so much talk about flattening the curve every day. That <sighs> arrogant governor of New York Cuomo would get get in front of a stinking camera and talk about flattening the curve. So, anyways. The White House went on to issue coronavirus guidelines in mid-March titled 15 days to slow the spread, then extended the voluntary national shutdown at the end of the month for another 30 days. Fauci predicted it would take at least several weeks to flatten the curve, easing the burden on emergency rooms and the healthcare system. Um, then last month, as the national infection occurred, infection curve appeared to be flattening, 
Fauci warned about the danger of trying to open the country prematurely, cautioning that if states moved too soon, it would result in needless suffering and death. See, that's the thing about this. It... This whole... Coronavirus thing just reeks of government bureaucracy doing what it does best lying through its teeth to take more and more control over you and your life to dominate you and then never giving back that control once it's taken it from you anyways um number eight vaccine so here's the thing I'm just gonna sum this one up he talks about the vaccine taking a year year and a half at the least and then of course just like before he changes the uh, timeline here's the thing I really I'm not uh, big believer in vaccines anyways and I think a vaccine is the wrong um, it's the incorrect uh, policy for this and I really don't like the idea that it's going to be these coronavirus vaccines are going to be mandatory I don't know I just think that it's less and less choice that you have over your own health care so anyways um I'm getting near ending this uh, this episode now and uh, it's it's a meteor one and I still didn't get to a fourth of the least a fourth of the topics that I wanted to but um, I just wanted to say I th I'm, I thank you all for for those of you who have had the attention span to listen all the way.